name is Jada. Uh, I work here at Third Street Community Church, and it is my absolute privilege and honor to be bringing forth the word for you today. Amen. Yeah. This month, we have been in a series called Shaping the Church. Third Street, if you're with me this morning, can you repeat back, Shaping the Church? That's right. We have been grounded in a tool that Corey introduced us to on the very first week. And this tool reflects uh, the rhythms that Jesus lived while he was here on this earth. And it's broken down into three categories, up, in, and out. Up was uh, what KT covered the very first week, and up is representative of our relationship with the Father. So setting aside time daily to commune with him, to know his spirit, to know what he's doing in your life, and to set aside that time separately and corporately as we gather on a Sunday morning for worship and to hear the word. And then last week, Corey and Rachel team taught, which was fitting, as they were doing in. In is representative of our relationship to other believers within the church. And so they came and they told us about the importance of community, the importance of huddles. That's the vehicle that we provide to get into in and to stay in in, to be faithful to the community that God has placed us in. And this week, it is my honor to take us into the last part of the triangle before Corey closes us next week. And that is out. Out is our relationship to the unbelieving world. Out is our relationship to those that do not yet know Jesus. And my goal today is to talk about what healthy out is and to challenge us to step into that collectively as a church. So we're going to be grounded today in Acts chapter 8. If you have your physical Bibles or your phones, you can go ahead and turn there. We're also going to have it up here on the screens. We're going to be in Acts chapter 8, and we're going to start at verse 26. All right, the text reads this way. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out. And on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Candace, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to the chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who was the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. They and as they traveled along, they came across water and he was asked, what would stop me from being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. 
This is the word of the Lord, and every bit of it is true. Well, in the nature of you guys getting to know me a little bit more, obviously I've been around in different capacities, but I figured I'd share. There's been some pretty big news in my life this year. I got married in November. Blake and I got married just about 10 months ago, and uh, one of my favorite parts of being married so far has been like we've been inducted into like the married crew. And if you're if you're in it, you know a part of that is like you offer up any tips or tricks that you have, like any language that works in your relationship just gets passed on to new couples. So we just had a couple friend of ours come over last weekend, and they gave us one of their tips and tricks. I'm going to share it today. They use the term noticing. They say, oh, I've been noticing that you have this reaction, or I've noticed that you have this particular habit, and wouldn't you know? But ever since then, I've been noticing so many different things in my home, in my house that, I, that Blake and I live in. And so I figured I'd share a few of those, and uh, I did not get Blake's permission whatsoever. So I'm gonna go ahead and share. One of the first things I've noticed in Blake and I's house is that one of us is the dishwasher, and the other one is the, I'm letting the pan soak. Yeah, for like 24 or like 48 or 72 hours, the pan's soaking. That's what one of us in the house does, whereas the other one, you know, washes the dish when it's dirty. Um, and I'll let you guess who's who. I'll flip it. I'll flip it. But it's next one. I promise. Uh, something else that I've been noticing, that I've noticed, uh, if, if you don't know me, you should know now, I do have a tendency to like be very quick to offer up my opinion. It's just, it's something that I do. I don't know, like, it, it doesn't take me out of the responsibility of that, but it's just a tendency that I have. And so I've noticed that Blake has gotten really good at translating what I say. So like if Julian's over at the house and he's like, yo, this is what happened and oh, it went down this way and da 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 I'm like, well, that is dumb. That is silly. And you should either not do that or here's exactly what you should do. And Blake's like, yeah, yeah, but it's because like God is calling you to be, see, he's laughing because it's so true. Like, God is calling you to be better than that. Like, the way God has designed you is so that, like, you could come into maturity in this way. And I'm like, yeah, what, what he said, minus when I said that that was dumb, because that's not a good challenge at all, right? So I've noticed, Blake is really good at filling in that gap for me. And that has really been the theme that I've seen this past week, but all throughout our marriage. And that is that the more Blake and I get to know each other, and the more we're familiar with each other's patterns and tendencies, the easier it has been for us to fill in the gaps and set the other one up to win. And so I've seen it in little things like washing the dishes. If you ever come over to our house, Blake is going to cook for you. I love when I bring food places and people are like, Gina, this is so good. I did not cook it. I do not cook nearly as well as my husband does. He's the one who cooks. So I get to fill in the gap for him by not letting him touch the dishes, otherwise they'll be in there for 72 hours. You know what I mean? I get to fill in the gap. I can wash the dishes. And because he knows me and he knows my heart is that I want to challenge you because I love you, because he knows that, he's able to offer support in a way that still stands by what I said, but that makes it a little bit easier to understand, right? 
And as we've gotten to know each other more and more, that has been easier and easier. And I think that that's what God started to point out to me over this past couple of weeks that I've been preparing for this message, and that's that before we get into out, we have to first be really good in up. Like, we have to know God before really we step into in or out. We have to know who God is. We have to know what it sounds like when he's speaking to us. And when we do, we're able to listen to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. This series is our opportunity. It's our opportunity to reflect and to think of what would Jesus have me do in my daily rhythms? How would Jesus have me respond in these moments and step into these opportunities? And Philip does this so well. It's why I love this scripture so much. Philip knows God so well that he trusts He's not being set up to be made a fool. He's not being called out to be embarrassed. He's not being called out to be isolated. He's being called out because God is setting him up to win. God is setting him up for glory to be brought to his kingdom. And Philip knows God so well that he doesn't even question it. And on the other side of that, God knows Philip so well that he knows exactly when to call him into things, where to call him to, who to have him speaking with, we have to know that God knows us. Out can be super intimidating. I know that going to somebody who doesn't yet know Jesus and telling them about Jesus can feel cringy, it can feel overwhelming, it can feel hard. But what we have to know is that God has intention for us in that and he's not setting us up for failure. So I wanna jump into my first point and then I wanna start walking this out. My first point is this, out comes from the Holy Spirit. But are you listening? Yeah. Out comes from the Holy Spirit, but are you listening? When the angel of the Lord appeared to Philip and said, go, he heard and he went. Yeah. And then again, the Spirit of the Lord appears to Philip and prompts him, go near the chariot. Philip hears and he runs. He doesn't just go, he runs, right? He hears and he responds. And the thing is, our opportunity for out will come through those promptings, but we'll miss it if we aren't listening. And how can we listen if we don't know the one who's calling us? I so many times have seen this come up, and just two years ago, I was going through this series where I wanted to grow in intimacy with the Lord. I wanted to grow in intimacy with Him. Intimacy was like a word that was on my mind. So every morning, I was doing this practice. I was asking God, God, who have you created me to be? And at the time, Blake and I were just dating, so I was asking God, who did you create Blake to be? And God was honoring that time. He was telling you so much about us, and I think that's part of the reason why we like know each other so well, why we're able to fill in the gaps so well for each other. But I had gone to the hunkas, and I would sat at their kitchen table, and I was like, Rachel, I don't feel like I know God better. And she hit me, if you know Rachel, you know that she's like really good at the one-liners. She was like, well, duh. And she did start with, well, duh, by the way. When she's listening to this later, I want her to know she did start with, well, duh. And then she said, because intimacy isn't just about being known. It's about knowing the person on the other side of you. So I had the right heart posture. I wanted to know God better. I wanted to be like, hey, I'm going to set aside this time. I'm going to ask you questions, but I wasn't asking the right question. 
And so I left that space and I added on another question to my practice. I added on the question, and God, who are you? Who are you, Lord? And he started to reveal so many parts of his identity. That's when I started to study all of the names that God has. All throughout the Old Testament, I learned God as El Roy, the God who sees me. I learned him as God, Jehovah Jireh, the one who provides. I started to know who God is called and what his character is. That's how you really start to know somebody, if you know their character. And, and so shortly after that, Rachel and I did this whole series at Malone where we walked through the promises of God. Because when you know who he is, you can call on him to answer his promises to you. When you know that he promises to provide, you can say, God, I need you as Jehovah Jireh right now in this moment right here. Yeah. Right? And that whole part of my life has changed so much of how I see God and how I know him and how I'm able to hear him. And it's similar to the story in 1 Samuel. In 1 Samuel, Samuel is, is lying down at the end of the day and a voice calls him. And so he jumps up and he runs to Eli, who's a priest, and he's like, you called me. And Eli's like, no, I didn't. Go back and lay down. Like, that had nothing to do with me. And my dad, he used to tell us that story as a bedtime story. And so he would go, Samuel, Samuel. And he would like shake our bunk bed. And at the time, I was like, how silly that Samuel didn't know it was God. It literally sounds like God. Of course it's God calling you. And now that I'm older, I'm like, oh, it would be a little trickier than that. Like, it's not as obvious. And it doesn't take until the third time that Samuel runs to Eli and says, you called me. Samuel doesn't know the Lord, but Eli does. And so Eli says, hold on, I think God's up to something. And this is what he tells Eli to do. He says, go back, and this is how I want you to answer if you hear this call again. Say, speak, for your servant is listening. Go lie back down. If you hear this voice again, say, speak, for your servant is listening. That's the posture we have to have. If we want to hear from the Lord, we have to carry on the practice of saying, speak, for your servant is listening. I don't want us to get so caught up in out being a checklist item that we aren't attentive to the places spaces and people that God intends for us to witness to. When we're so caught up in making sure it's in our schedule, every Wednesday night I show up and I do my out. When we're so focused on making sure that it's checked off the list, we aren't open to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Our posture is no longer, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Our posture is now, God, meet me here only at this time. Otherwise, I'm not available. Otherwise, you actually can't use me in this moment because I'm waiting for Wednesday at 7. So if you want to go ahead and show up at Wednesday at 7, I'll so be there, God. I will be right there. I will check it off my list. I will be so available. The Spirit is looking to use you. The Spirit is looking to co-labor with you. The Spirit is inviting you into a work that has already started. But we have to be present and listening. Out comes from the Holy Spirit. But are we listening? And is our up strong enough that we can recognize when we're being called into out? My second point is going to take us, and we're going to start like walking out the scripture, because the scripture is crazy. Point two says, out comes from ongoing outpouring. But are you obedient? 
outcomes from ongoing outpouring, but are you obedient? Philip, see this is why I so understand why KT and Corey, where they're always like the dangers of casual reading, because if you were just to pick up and read, you do sound like that. If you were just to pick up and read this scripture without having any idea what else Philip has done, you'd be like, okay, I'm just gonna wait for an angel to appear to me then. Like, okay, I'll do out when I hear Samuel, Samuel, like I'm literally just gonna wait till God actually calls me into it. But the thing is, Philip has been living a life of ongoing outpouring. It's not like consistency. I think consistency is like a cheap way to describe it. It's ongoing outpouring. So we first meet Philip, I'll break it down for you, in Acts chapter six. And it's a crazy story. We meet Philip because at the time, the early church is trying to figure things out. And the Hellenistic and the Hebraic Jews are in a disagreement because the widows of the Hellenistic Jews are being overlooked in the food distribution that happens. In the early church, they're trying to figure this out. So they bring this issue of inequity to the leaders. And they're like, what are we gonna do about this? This is not right, it's, it's unjust. And he says, okay, like the apostles are like, listen, we're doing a lot of stuff right now but I believe that there are leaders among you who could be raised up and empowered in this moment to address this issue, which for fun is a beautiful, powerful example of seeing inequity in a community, of seeing inequity among a body, and saying this isn't actually just Corey's job to address, this isn't actually just Rev or KT's job to address, this is my job as someone built with the spirit who has wisdom and discernment to empower myself and to empower those among us who can address this, it doesn't just have to be a few at the top, it actually is all of us as the body responding. What happens is that seven leaders amongst them get raised as disciples. They're pointed out as these are people filled with the spirit. These are people who have wisdom and discernment. So let's set them loose, let's let them respond. And Philip is one of the seven. Stephen and Philip are the two like really notable ones. And so we see Philip here. He addresses this issue. And what happens shortly after this is that Stephen ends up going on. He has an amazing ministry, but he ultimately gets brought to trial. The church is being persecuted, and Stephen ends up getting convicted, stoned, and killed. And after that, a great persecution takes over the church. And so it says that the apostles are together, but that everybody else who is gathered scatters. And so the disciples go out, and what we pick up with next is Philip. Philip goes to Samaria. The church is being persecuted, and this dude's like, you know what? I think God might be up to something. Let me go to Samaria, and let me start preaching, teaching, healing people. Let there be great miracles and signs and wonders. It actually says that everywhere that Philip went, there was great joy in the city. So Philip goes on. He's in Samaria. And actually, there's so much happening in Samaria. Like, it is such an insane outbreak of the gospel being received that the apostles come down. John and Peter are like, we need to go and see what's going on in Samaria. And so they come down and they pray for the early believers there to receive the Holy Spirit. And it's at that moment that the angel of the Lord appears to Philip and says, go. How hard must that have been for Philip? 
Philip is in the sweet spot of ministry. Let me tell you, I haven't even been in ministry that long. You don't get that many sweet spots. There are not that many times where you're like, man, it's all the homies, and the spirit is coming, and everyone's receiving us well, and like we have such favor. It happens, but it's not like that frequent. So Philip is in his sweet spot. He's in his bag. Like he's preaching and teaching and healing people. It's wild. And the angel of the Lord says, go. And Philip doesn't ask questions. Philip isn't concerned about what this might mean. Philip hears. And because he's been living a life of ongoing outpouring, he's obedient. Because he knows God has something for me to go and do. Let me go and attend to that. Are we obedient even if it costs us something? Because for Philip, it could have been that he was really comfortable. Do we feel that, that maybe we've been in a really comfortable season? And what God's calling us to do is to step out in relationship or get to know some people that we don't know. And that sounds really uncomfortable. So we're like, no, I'd rather not. Or if I'm going to, it's going to take me really overcoming my own comfort because this has been a comfortable season. Or maybe it's that we've been in a season of harvest, right? He's in Samaria. He's continuing on the work that Jesus himself started. Jesus visited the woman, the Samaritan woman, and the Samaritan woman went and told her town. So there's been harvest that has been watered over this time, and Philip is getting to see the fruit of his labor. Maybe it's that we can't imagine going from a time of harvest to having to sow seed again. We can't imagine. We just saw somebody all the way through to maturity, and now God's saying, start over. There's somebody else for you. Step into this other season. From harvest to throwing the seed again, that can be so hard. Or maybe it's that we're scared of judgment, or we're scared of relational fallout. God, I can't tell them about Jesus, because what if it ruins our friendship? God, I can't tell them about you because I've worked so hard to get them to even accept me to this point. What if I started to become the Jesus freak? What if I started to be the one who brought Jesus into everything? I'm always Jesus juking the situation. Like, I can't be that person. Maybe that's genuinely concern. You're concerned, but the issue is, if the Spirit of God is calling you into something, you have a choice to make. You can absolutely be, be disobedient. That is a choice that you can make. It is a choice that I have made at times. When the Spirit has said, tell this person about who I am to you, I, like Peter, have said I have no idea who that is. I cannot even say because I'm so scared of judgment. I'm so scared that it's going to cost me something. But what I'm telling you is we miss out on what God is doing when we aren't obedient to his call. He doesn't have hurt and pain for us on the other side. There may be discomfort, and there may be relational fallout for a season, but God doesn't see things in the timeline that we see things. He sees where it will be seen through to completion. Yeah. Yeah. We have to be obedient to serve our portion of that. We may be throwing seed. We may be watering. We may be seeing the fruit of the labor, but either way, no matter which one it is, we have to be obedient to the call. Your obedience can't be dependent on your understanding. It can't be dependent. It can't be dependent on your comfort. Philip didn't make it dependent on anything. 
the angel of the Lord appeared and said, Go, and Philip sent him out. And then the spirit said, Go near that chariot, and he said, I'm going to run. Philip didn't ask any questions. And out can't be a one-time event that we sign up for. It has to be ongoing outpouring. Yeah. I love how many opportunities we have as a church. We have epic. If you want to serve at a youth camp for a weekend and get no sleep and be exhausted and be embarrassed about learning dance trends that I can't do anymore, and they didn't know what the cat daddy was when I was there, and it was messed up, and I felt old, but let me tell you, it was amazing. That's an opportunity out it is but it isn't the only opportunity for out I got this year there's also the Christmas shop we talk about it it's about to start coming into the announcements all over again we have opportunities to serve the communities through empowering them to be the breadwinners for their families at Christmas it's incredible come and volunteer but can I tell you that's not your only opportunity for out there's word Wednesdays every single Wednesday you just saw made up here Nate runs for Wednesdays, and there are people coming in that don't yet know the hope of Jesus. And that's an opportunity for out, but can I tell you, it's not the only opportunity you get. If you would look at me and say, Jada, those are the only opportunities I've had, I would say you don't know the Lord well enough to hear him calling you into more. And that's not to condemn you, that's to say, get to know Jesus better. He's up to more than just what we announce here on Sunday mornings. Yeah. There's more for you. That's beautiful. And something that happened as I was preparing for this word, I felt like God was speaking to me through the writing of story. That's a way that he has always spoken to me. Like I see things as characters, character development. My husband gets very annoyed. I read a lot. Don't get mad at me. Get mad at my mom. That's why I read the way that I do, right? I just see things that way. That's how... I see the word of God so many times. And so as I was starting to prepare, Corey was like, you need to ask yourself, why Philip? And why Philip? This is a bit of a departure from the story of Acts. We've seen the Holy Spirit come upon groups of people, but this is an individual move of the Spirit, and that's different. And so I started to ask, why Philip? But the annoying thing about me is I had other questions. I was like, also, why the Ethiopian eunuch? And of all places, why is the setting on the desert road? Like, why does that make sense? So I want to start walking it out, and my point three is that out is why Jesus came. And you're already equipped. Out is why Jesus came, and you're already equipped. Why Philip? Philip is a Jewish man, right? So Philip has grown up in an oral tradition where he would have heard large swaths of the Old Testament read ceremoniously. He would have read them himself in most days. He would spend time hearing this and meditating on, on the Old Testament scriptures. The Nevim is the part of the, of the Tanakh that captures the prophets. And Isaiah, which is what we see in the scripture, he's quoting the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah would have been a part of that. So Philip knows Isaiah. Philip is familiar. So when he saddles up alongside the chariot and he hears Isaiah 53, he's like, oh, yes, I know this one. This has been in my home my whole life. This is a word that I have heard many times and I've meditated on for years. And something else about Philip, it's already been revealed to him who Isaiah 53 is about. Yeah, yeah, that's right. 
Because the thing about Isaiah 53 specifically is that people weren't sure who this suffering lamb was. They thought maybe the suffering lamb was like a metaphor, like maybe it was a metaphor for Israel, because Israel had gone through war and great persecution, like exile. There had been so much happening to Israel, so they thought maybe it's a metaphor. Or they thought maybe the suffering lamb is about Isaiah himself, which is what the Ethiopian eunuch clearly thought. The Ethiopian eunuch was like, is this literally about Isaiah? And then there were other people still who thought, is this about the Messiah? Is this about who is to come? But that was so uncomfortable to them because they didn't want the Messiah to suffer. So, so many people thought maybe it's the Messiah, but they couldn't accept that as truth because it was too uncomfortable. So the crazy thing about Philip is he knows the Old Testament, he knows Isaiah 53, and he knows who it's about. He knows that this is about Jesus. Jesus as the Messiah, his sacrificial gift to the world. And all of these conflicting opinions aren't relevant to Philip anymore. Because Philip knows this is Jesus, and he did suffer greatly, and he was silent before the shearer. He did go in through great persecution. And who will tell of this lamb? I will. That was Philip's posture. So Philip is uniquely equipped to answer the Ethiopian's question. He knew the truth of Jesus. And he started with that scripture. That's what it says. It says, starting with that scripture, he told the good news of Jesus. Starting on common ground. He said, let me show you. Because the crazy thing about the Bible is that all things point back to Jesus. You can read any portion of prophecy. You can read any confusing law that's listed in the Old Testament. And you're like, what are they saying about braids? Surely that can't be true. You can read any portion and it will point back to Jesus. You can look to creation, and it will cry out about Jesus. You can look to science and evolution, and it's rushing to catch up to what Jesus speaks. That's the crazy thing about the world that we live in, is that we can start on common ground with anyone, because it all points back to Jesus. And then the question becomes, why the Ethiopian eunuch? Because there are also conflicting opinions about what was, what, who the Ethiopian eunuch was, but there are a few things we know definitively. Whether he was a Gentile, or whether he was a Jewish proselyte, whether he had converted to Judaism, either way, his race and his place of origin, being from not as what we know as Ethiopia, but would have been south of Egypt in ancient Nubia, that either way, he would have been disqualified from being accepted into the faith. We know that the Ethiopian eunuch is God-fearing because he travels over 200 miles to go to Jerusalem to worship. It says he traveled to to Jerusalem to worship and he left there still being God-fearing but not being saved. He didn't yet know Jesus. And so the Ethiopian eunuch would have been disqualified from participating. And what ends up happening is that these two men are chosen by God for a miraculous spread of the gospel. Because what we also know is that the region of Africa that he was from, that the Coptic Christians today in Egypt still trace their heritage back to this Ethiopian official. So a miraculous spread of the gospel came, not just through Philip the Jew, 
not just through the Ethiopian eunuch, the Gentile, but through what was happening as they came together. Thank God Philip was obedient. Because what ended up happening is that an entire continent that had been unreached ended up receiving the gospel because of one man being obedient to the call. And one man having a heart that was ready to receive. The Ethiopian eunuch says, how can I? How can I know who this is about unless someone explains it to me? How many of our brothers and sisters who do not yet know the good news about Jesus have a posture of how can I? Nobody has told me. How can I? Nobody has taken the time to walk alongside me. How can I? Unless you do something. And the last portion of this, besides the two men themselves, is that this happens on the desert road. That's weird. That's weird for a lot of reasons. One of which being, the Ethiopian eunuch had just come from Jerusalem. He was in Jerusalem to worship. He was in the high place. He was in the place that people believed the Spirit of God dwelled. He had been worshiping there, but he still hadn't received Jesus there. Philip had been preaching in Samaria. He had been a part of harvest. He had been received well. He had favor in that place. He had friends doing it with him. But he's called out of that place. He was brought by the Lord to the wilderness, to a barren land. He was brought to a place that many overlooked. He brought them to a place that many others would have looked at and said, surely those aren't the ideal conditions for ministry. But God did think that. And how many times have we heard Canton and the Southeast described as a desert? Canton is a food desert. It is a healthcare desert. It is a resource desert. Surely this cannot be the ideal place for ministry to go forward. But can I let you in on something? God has always had intention for the desert. God has always had intention for the places that man looks at and says, surely not there. Surely the Spirit of God would not dwell in that place. It is barren where other people look and see lack. God sees, this is where my living water will flow. How convenient that as they're riding along in the desert, they come across water so that he could take the Ethiopian eunuch down and baptize him. It does not matter where we are. It does not matter what people say we lack because the Spirit of God has always had his eye on the desert. And you will find me dwelling there. Out is why Jesus came. And you're already equipped. Corey brought us through Mark 1 in our very first week. And in Mark 1, Jesus goes off and he spends time with the Father. And then he has his disciples come and they have access to him before anybody else does. But then it says, let us go out to the nearby villages for this is why I have come. This is why I have come. If we take our salvation for granted, it makes sense that we wouldn't value out. If we don't look at the gift that God has given us through sending his son for our inclusion and acceptance into his plan, then of course we don't value passing it on. Like that just makes sense. Only someone who has truly experienced the living hope and renewal of Jesus will value out. If we experience up, 
and we spend a lot of time with the Lord, and we know God, and He knows us. And we spend a lot of time in, in close relationship with those that also know Jesus, but we never venture, venture out, we are ineffective. We are ineffective because Rachel and Corey broke it down last week through Phoebe. Phoebe was sent as an extension of Paul. She held the letter that was brought to the Romans, and she not only taught it, but answered questions on it. She represented Paul's character, his heart and his, in, and his intention. She could defend him. And similarly, through the Great Commission, we are sent as an extension of Christ. We are meant to represent his heart, his intention. We are supposed to be able to answer on his behalf. But if people don't know Jesus, but they know you, what would they think of my Messiah? If people didn't know Jesus, but they knew you, would they think that Jesus is angry? If they didn't know Jesus, but they knew you, would they think that Jesus is inconsistent? If they didn't know Jesus, but they knew you, would they think that he's judgmental or exclusive? Because we have to represent his heart really well. And there are times as the church we mess this up because we don't take out seriously. And so we find ourselves in these situations where we're overlapping with people that don't know Jesus and we're representing a kind of, a kind of person, a kind of idea that Jesus would never himself represent. And then we wonder why people who don't yet know him aren't sitting in here with us. And I have to tell you, the Ethiopian eunuch says, how can I? I believe that that is the heart cry of all of those who do not yet know this living hope. How can I? No one has told me. The church people that I know, they don't want me. They have said that I'm not welcome. They have they've said, get out of here. We don't want you a part of this. But Jesus weeps over that because we have to represent his heart for them. This is why I have come, he says. Jesus came for out. We have to represent it really well. The only other crazy thing about Philip, we really don't get that much more about him. The only other crazy thing about Philip is the next time we catch him, he's in Caesarea. And Paul is traveling through. Now he's converted. At the point of the story we've been in, Paul's not even on the map yet. He's still Saul. At this point, he's Paul. He travels through Caesarea, and he stays with Philip. And Philip has been elevated. He's no longer just Philip, one of the seven. He is now Philip the Evangelist. And what that tells me is that this is one of the most powerful piece, pieces of scripture we can look to for effective evangelism. Philip the Evangelist. And the only other thing we know him about him, the only other thing we know him for, is that he had four prophesying daughters. That's literally the only other thing mentioned. Philip the Evangelist, who had four prophesying daughters. How cold must his daughters have been that has had, like, women don't even get mentioned as being present in scripture sometimes. Like, we have to assume, oh, and there were probably another couple thousand for the women and children because they just don't get counted. These ladies were so cold with prophecy that it gets, it gets canonized. It gets included in scripture. So can I tell you what? Your faithfulness in out is also a testimony seen by those closest to you. Because 
I've heard before people wondering, well, I just feel like, you know, this season for my family, or I just feel like the season that I'm in, I can't really value out as highly. I really have to take a step back from out, and I have to focus on my up, or I have to focus on my in. I can't really do out, but the thing with Philip is, Philip does out, arguably, probably the best. Outside of Jesus himself, Philip does it the best. He is the evangelist. And you know what got passed down to his kids? A heart for Jesus. An understanding of their creator. They watched their dad prophesy. They watched their dad heal. They watched their dad welcome people into their home. They watched their dad be faithful and out. And as a result, they know Jesus. Don't assume that you can't witness in your home throughout. You absolutely can. And we see it captured in scripture. So that tells me it's probably happened over and over and over again. That's a theme. For those of you that wonder what your place is in out, hear me when I say that the Spirit wants you to be a part of it. You are invited. Out is not for the few. Out is not for leadership. Out is not for somebody who has a better idea of scripture than you, who has a better understanding of scripture than you. God will use your testimony. He will use the places and spaces that you have been in. He will use your family history. He will use the things that you experience day in and day out to witness of his glory to those who, don't, who do not yet know him. And we have to take that charge seriously. And for those of you that may be saying, Jada, I don't even have my up. Like, I am the one that you're talking about reaching. I am the one who, do, who does not yet know the power and the living hope of Jesus. Can I talk to you for a second about the son of suffering that I have come to know and love as my savior? Jesus came for out. He came for you. And I don't want that to get lost because we get so caught up in as the church being involved in in, and we get so caught up in being involved in the show of out that we miss that these are very real people that Jesus himself loves, that Jesus himself came for, for your inclusion. Jesus came for you. Amen. And I don't want anybody to leave this place without knowing that there is an open invitation. At all times, there is an open invitation for you. Come on, Jesus. And church, as we respond, and as, how, as we figure out what it looks like for us to live out, out really healthily and really well, I would pray that we first Consult the Lord. Don't come to me, at least not right away. Don't come to me and say, where's my out opportunity? I'm ready to volunteer. I would love to have you volunteer. The kids need volunteers like right now. There's plenty of space for you. But talk to the Lord. Ask the Lord who he says he is. Ask the Lord who he created you to be. Because it's through your identity in him. And it's through who he's created you to be that, he, that you ultimately will be sent in out.
That's where it all comes from. So consult the Father. Ask him where he would have you. And when you hear the prompting, be obedient. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for who you are. God, I thank you for who you have created each of us uniquely to be. God, thank you for the Imago Day. Thank you for the image of God as lived out and represented through your diverse body gathered here. God, thank you for who you have always been in Scripture, which is somebody who sees the one far off. God, thank you for the ways that you're calling us into living healthier rhythms as a church. God, thank you that you are already creating testimony in this place. God, thank you for the harvest that is to come. Lord, I pray that any seed that has been sent today would fall on good soil. God, I, I pray that you would send workers, laborers, to work through this field and to water it and see it through to harvest. God, I believe that you are a God who sees things through to completion. And so I pray that the work that was begun here today would be seen through to completion in you. And it is in your holy son's name that we pray. All who believe say. Amen.